you know, he was my, my best friend. But when I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 18, our friendship changed. One afternoon, we were driving around town listening to music like we used to do. We were just talking and I told him, I said, I follow Jesus now and he's the center of my life. My buddy looked at me with a very quizzical look on his face and he said, well, I kind of believe that stuff, but he's not the most important thing to me. I don't think my life should revolve around him. And as such a new believer, I didn't have the, the maturity or the vocabulary to be able to shepherd or counsel him just yet, but I knew deep down that wasn't right. You see, when you submit your life to Jesus Christ, when you surrender everything to him and you follow him, Jesus is central in all things. This is what we see Jesus doing in Mark chapter one with two pairs of brothers, and he comes to them and says, follow me. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going through a sermon series as a faith family called On the Move. We're walking through the gospel of Mark together. And we've seen Jesus as, as the one who is to be amazed at. I've, I've been praying that God would help us to see who he is and how he lived and how he ministered. And it would so impact our lives that we would be amazed by King Jesus when we stare at him through his word. Up to this point in chapter one, we have seen Jesus, verse one, that he is the Christ and the son of God. Verse three, he is the Lord. Verse seven, he is the mighty one and the worthy one. Verse eight, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, he is the spirit anointed one. Verse 11, he is the beloved son and the one who pleases God. Then in verse 14, we really start to see the ministry of Jesus launch. Look at the text with me in Mark chapter one, beginning with verse 14. It says, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here in the text, we see that John has been arrested, which we're going to look in more detail at when we get to chapter 6. In verse 14, Jesus has gone to Galilee. Now remember up to this point, Jesus has been in the south in Judea for his baptism and for his temptation. But now he's gone north up to the area of Galilee. From verse 14 all the way now through the rest of chapter 9, Mark records Jesus' ministry up north in the Galilean region. Now remember, Mark is not giving us an account based upon the order in which the events took place, but rather he bundles Jesus' ministry based upon location. Chapters one through nine take place up north in Galilee. Then he bundles Jesus's ministry down in the south in Judea and Jerusalem in chapters 10 through 16. Well, the time has come for Jesus to initiate his ministry and he begins by implementing 
a discipleship strategy. I want you to notice the three parts of this strategy. The first part is the message. It's the message. Verse 14, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That word for proclaiming in verse 14, it means to herald, to preach publicly with conviction and with courage, with passion. It means to declare loudly. Back in throughout the historical days and the thousands of years before us, oftentimes when a nation would go to battle, there would be a messenger who at the end of the battle would run. He would sprint all the way back to the hometown and he would bring a message. If their nation's army lost in the battle, he would declare it and people would gather their things and head to safety. If their nation's army had won, they would celebrate the victory. Either way, this messenger carried an important message and what he said impacted thousands if not millions of people. Here is Jesus proclaiming, heralding a message, the greatest message ever told, the gospel. And here he is coming to proclaim, coming to herald the good news of God. You see, the gospel, verse 14, is the good news of God because it's the good news about God. God has done something so great, so magnificent that Jesus is declaring loudly for all to hear. Verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is proclaiming, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The fullness of time has come. The seed of the woman who has come to crush the head of the serpent is here. The prophet that is greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament, the true and greater prophet Jesus, he is now here. The one who fulfills the law of Moses, he is here. The fullness of time has come. See, all of mankind, we have rebelled against God. We have sinned against him. We stand guilty before him. We can never pay him back for the law that we have broken. We deserve an eternal punishment in a place that Jesus describes as hell. All of us are guilty. All of us deserve judgment. But, verse 15, the kingdom of God, the eternal rule and reign and dominion of God has come near. Then Jesus declares at the apex of his message, verse 15, repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? The good news is the gospel that Jesus Christ, the son of God, lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, but he did not stay dead. For on the third day, he came back to life. He is risen. He is reigning in heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you right now. This is the gospel that you and I grab hold of. This is the gospel that we believe. And here is Jesus calling out, repent and believe the gospel. The good news is not be a better person. The good news is not be religious. The gospel is the good news of what God has done, not what we do. 
we repent and we trust in Jesus by faith. And then we enter into a personal relationship with God. So anyone and everyone who turns from their sin, it's called repentance. You turn and you trust in Jesus by faith. You receive salvation. The word salvation means eternal rescue. You've been rescued from hell. You've been rescued from judgment. You've been rescued from sin. You've been rescued from death all because of what Jesus did through his death on your behalf and his victorious resurrection on the third day. So we see throughout scripture, Jesus here, he doesn't just preach the good news. He is the good news. He is the gospel. God has come near to us in the person and work of Jesus. And here is Jesus in the text pointing us to himself as the one who ushers in the kingdom. But it's interesting, when we, Jesus says repent, he's not just talking about a one-time act. You see, for followers of Jesus, we are continually repenting. We are continually turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. There never comes a point in time in your life in which you say, I got it. I'm crushing it. I'm nailing it. Uh -uh. Nobody here can say that. As believers, we are professional repenters. We are continually humbling ourselves, confessing our sin to the Lord, not to gain salvation, but because we already have it. And we say, Lord, I've gone this way. I don't want to go that way. I'm going to turn from that sin and I'm trusting in Christ. I'm believing the gospel. It's a continuous act as followers of Jesus. But it begins with the first step as a follower of Christ. The moment you believe the gospel is a moment that you repent. It's an about face. It's a 180 that Jesus is describing here. So we repent, but there's also a second part that's so important, believe. Believe the message that Jesus preached. Believe the message that the apostles preached. Believe the message that the church fathers have preached. Believe the message that the reformers have preached. Believe the message that faithful believers throughout the ages have preached. Westwood, we must continually herald, repent, and believe. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ. There is no new message. If you hear something new, beware. We preach the same message that Jesus preaches right here in the text. And it's turn from your sin, turn from yourself, turn from your pride and trust in him. This is the greatest news ever, y'all. Rebels like us, we can be redeemed. Enemies of God become friends of God. The lost are found. Those living in darkness discover the great light in the person of Jesus. Those living in despair experience living hope. Oh, the mercy of God. that he displays his glorious grace in his son, Jesus. So we see here Jesus' strategy for disciple making, and it begins with the message. But I want you to see number two, the second part of disciple-making strategy is the men. It's the men. Jesus opens up his ministry by gathering men who will be his disciples. 
These men will follow him for three years. They will watch and learn how he leads. And then after his resurrection, Jesus will commission them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We see in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost and is there that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out to the nations preaching the gospel and making disciples and planting churches. And yet notice here in the text the humble beginning of where it all began. Verse 16, as Jesus passed alongside the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is more like a lake. It's 14 miles long, six miles wide. You can see on a clear day to the other side so easily. It's a small body of water in comparison to the way we think of a sea. It's a lake. And here's Jesus walking along the shoreline and he saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea. Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen, verse 16. This was their trade. And Jesus says, follow me. These two simple words, they remain forever as the command of Christ to all people to believe the gospel that you follow Jesus. Jesus commanded them, follow me. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Verse 20, immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now this is a normal day at work for these two pairs of brothers. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they're living the lake life. They're fishing making some money, providing for their families, and along comes Jesus. He commands all four of them to follow him. Now, Jesus keeps, Jesus keeps it so simple. To follow Jesus, you must forsake your old life and follow him. To forsake, it means to renounce. You reject your old way of life. Notice in the text what these four men abandoned to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus means that you're ready to first forsake your career. To forsake your career, verse 18, they left their nets and followed him. Peter and Andrew, they, they left their nets, they, they followed Jesus. Fishing was all they knew. But for these men, they were ready and willing to forsake their careers, ready and willing to forsake their dreams, their selfish ambitions and plans, all for the sake of following Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus, it's to lay your life down at the cross and allow Jesus to lead you in the direction you should go. Never in a million years did these guys ever imagine traveling the world, being a part of a mission bigger than themselves. Probably apart from a periodic trip to Jerusalem for a festival, these guys lived at the lake. Rarely, if ever, did they leave the region of Galilee, and yet they forsook their career and followed Jesus. You see, John would eventually become a pastor in Ephesus. Peter ends up in Rome. Andrew went as far as the borders of Russia with the gospel. They didn't know this in Mark chapter one. They just left everything and followed Jesus. Hear me, when you put your career on the altar and let God be the one to decide your future, watch what he's gonna do. Amen. When you say, God, it's not my job, it's not my career, I'm willing to give everything up for the sake of Jesus. You control my future. You are the one I follow. 
So be ready to leave your nets. Be ready to leave your good paying job. Be ready to leave the comfort of your own dreams and plans and be ready and willing to forsake everything and let Jesus dictate your future. But we also see that to follow Jesus, it means that you're ready to, number two, forsake your family. Jesus called these men to leave the security of their steady jobs, to follow him, but we see here how he calls them and they leave their families. Verse 20, they left their father Zebedee in the boat. For James and John, this was their family business. They were the succession plan when Zebedee retired or died. A few months ago, back in May, I had the opportunity to meet a modern day Apostle Paul. It's a man whose name is Hussein. In fact, I've got a picture. I wanna show you what it looks like. This guy is from Kenya. He was a Muslim. Every morning he would get up early and go and make the call to prayer on the community megaphone. Through a series of miraculous events, God was pursuing him. With his life falling apart around him, he heard a street preacher out declaring, repent and believe the gospel. With tears streaming down his face, he gave his life to Christ. He went to his family and said, I follow Jesus now. They began to beat him. They began to make plans to kill him. He rolled up his sleeve for me to see his arm where he had a stab wound from a knife attack that he had. This is a guy who lost everything. His fiance called it off and he never saw her again. His family burned all of his possessions. He had death threats to the point where he literally had nothing and he had no one. And so he escapes. Seven hours inland he finds a local church and he finds a new family. They love him. They disciple him. And now he's going into mosques preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's going all throughout the country planting churches. For this man right here, the world is not worthy of him. But for this man right here, he was ready to forsake his family because he knew Jesus is greater. Hear me, allegiance to Jesus is always greater than allegiance to family. Family is a good gift from God, but family is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean? To hate? To hate my wife, my children, my parents, my siblings, even our own lives? Jesus means two things, love and loyalty. Our love for Jesus and loyalty to Jesus must be so great that in comparison, our closest earthly relationships look like hatred. Though it is right and good to love your wife and to love your husband and to love your children and to love your brothers and sisters and parents, those earthly relationships should pale in comparison to your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You cannot have Jesus and your family in first place. He will not play second fiddle. So when you follow Jesus, he declares outright allegiance to him. And though it is good and right to love your spouse and to love your children and to love your parents, it is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. So you must be ready and willing to forsake your career, but also we see in the text, ready and willing to forsake your family. I want you to see thirdly, you must be ready and willing to forsake your money. It says in the text, <laughs> verse 20, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. The Zebedee Fisheries Incorporated, it's an enterprise. They had hired men, verse 20. These were employees working for Zebedee. So when James and John leave, they're walking away from the family business. They're walking away from a steady income. They're ready and willing to yield everything to the command of Christ to follow him. You see, Jesus is greater than your salary. Jesus is greater than your income. Jesus is greater than your assets. Jesus is greater than your 401k. He's greater than your retirement. He's greater than all of your earthly possessions. And so if Jesus calls you to empty the bank account and to follow him, would you? Because if the answer is no, then you cannot be his disciple. He will not allow our careers or our family or our finances to take precedent over him. It's a call in which we say money is good, but it is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. And following him is far greater than any of these temporary, worldly, earthly possessions. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus here is declaring, I am in first place. And if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna be my disciple, you must realize I come before your family, I come before your job, and I come before your money. This is the call of being a disciple. But did you notice the response of these four disciples? Look at how quickly they respond. Verse 20, he immediately he called them and they left and followed him. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Hear me, the call to follow Jesus requires rapid obedience. Immediately they get out of the boat and they're following Jesus. Immediately they leave their nets and they're following Jesus. It's rapid obedience. Jesus calls, you respond. He is the sovereign Lord who sustains the universe by the word of his power. And he is the one who dictates your future. He's the one who decided you would wake up today. He's the one who gives you life and breath and a beating heart. And so he is the one who decides your future. Therefore, when he calls, you follow. Here is Jesus declaring, follow me. And immediately they left everything to follow him. And Jesus is on the move here. And when he, when he calls you, it's not a request. It's not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion or a proposal. It's a command. 
this right here, are, these are imperatives. Follow me is a command. He is commanding obedience. He is commanding fellowship. Notice Jesus does not say include me. He doesn't say consider me. He says follow me. To follow Jesus, you forsake everything and you follow him. You see, discipleship, y'all, it's simple. Christ commands, we obey. Notice I didn't say discipleship is easy. It is not easy. Discipleship is a call to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian and martyr, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So if you're going to follow Christ, you must daily deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Now, some of you are hesitating right now because you're thinking, I, I don't feel worthy. Two things, don't trust your feelings. But number two, you're not. None of us are. No one here can raise their hand and say, I'm sinless. No one here can raise their hand and say, I have clean hands and a pure heart. I've never lifted up my soul to an idol. No one here can say, I've accomplished perfection. No one here can say, I have no need for Jesus. In fact, this is why Jesus came. Not because you're good, but because you're bad. We are in desperate need of the gospel. You see, he knows your past, he knows your failures, he knows your sins, but he loves you anyways. Oh, the love of God that he has for you. If moral integrity was a prerequisite to following Jesus, then all of us fail the test. But Jesus loves you and he cares for you. And to be his disciple, you don't need a diploma, you don't need popularity, you don't need worldly possessions. He calls Mark chapter one, unschooled ordinary men. He calls a bunch of blue-collar fishermen from the shores of Galilee to follow him, and God uses these men to change the world. And may I say to you, God can do the same thing with you. When you submit your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, I am forsaking my old life and I'm following Jesus, watch what he will do in you and watch what he will do through you. That's what God is up to in your life is he is calling you to himself to trust in him, to follow Jesus. Third and finally, now this is so important because you have the message and the men, but then Jesus has this third part that's so essential and it's the mission. The mission, Jesus says, verse 17, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Jesus is doing a... Uh, a play on words here. He's trying to capture the minds of these fishermen. He's calling them to a new task, a new mission. Rather than catching fish, now they're gonna catch people. Rather than being anglers, they're going to become evangelists. Jesus is casting before the disciples a compelling vision for their future. People are close to the heart of God. What did Jesus say in Luke 19, 10? I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Jesus is in the people business. He cares about people. And so now he's calling these men and setting them apart for a mission that's bigger than themselves. Isn't it interesting? In Mark 1, Jesus meets these men right where they are. He then calls them to be his disciples. And then he sets before them a mission. And here you sit this morning, and here you watch on live stream, and Jesus is pursuing you. He is calling you. He is meeting you right where you are. And he is calling you to be his disciple. And he is saying to you, follow me. And when you do, when you submit your life to Jesus Christ, he then sets before you a mission. And here is the mission, and it's your impact point. And it's follow Jesus and fish for men. This is what we do. We follow Jesus, and we go fishing for people. We don't go fishing with nets we go fishing with the gospel. We go out heralding and proclaiming just like Jesus, repent and believe. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ. This is the message all of us together as a faith family, we are to faithfully proclaim until the Lord's coming. Westwood, this is what we're about. Westwood is about investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus. We're about people. We invest in people, we pour into people, we disciple people who will go and impact their world. That's what Jesus did. And today, he's calling you, follow me.